Chapters forty one and forty two of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Forty one. Sylvia asks a question. That feeble lamp of life which burned in the sick chamber in High Street, Monkhampton, survived the gloom of deepest winter, now sinking almost to extinction, now flickering faintly back to life, now brightening so visibly that the anxious children began to hope for their mother's recovery they might have her with them for a few more years even yet they thought early in february mrs bain had improved so much as to come downstairs once more and occupy her accustomed place by the household hearth but she was not strong enough for the resumption of the domestic keys or the economical housewife's duties all she could do was to instill principles of thrift into matilda jane to impart valuable secrets of good management wise saws that had been handed down to her by her mother look over the butcher's book now and then and sigh plaintively as she noted how the weekly totals had risen since her illness i told cook what you said mother answered matilda jane and she said it was the gravy beef for your beef tea my dear the bills could hardly have been heavier if she'd boiled down a bullock i'm very much afraid the servants have been eating meat suppers delighted with this obvious improvement in his patient and sincerely anxious to preserve the cherished wife for the anxious husband whose devotion was a fact patent to all monkhampton mr stimson told shadrach bain that now was the time for his wife's removal to a milder climate if you can get her out of the way of our east winds we may have her strong again by summer said mr stimson cheerily there was just a shade of uneasiness in shadrach bain's expression as he reflected on the doctor's suggestion i thought our climate was pretty nearly as good as one you could have he said i didn't see much difference between monkhampton and cannes perhaps not my dear sir in robust health like yours one is hardly conscious of change in temperature had you consulted the thermometer you would have found that cannes is six or seven degrees higher than monkhampton very likely if you think mrs bain ought to go she shall go though it could hardly be more inconvenient than it is just now for me to take her but she has been a good wife to me and i wish to do my duty everybody knows that replied the doctor with feeling he had attended shadrach bain's family from the very beginning had ushered the children upon the stage of life and conducted them safely through all their infantile ailments and was sincerely attached to the household if she goes to cannes and improves as you think she will is there any hope of her being spared for some years to come asked the anxious husband with a watchful eye upon the practitioner's countenance i should like to know the truth patching a person up is one thing and curing them is another have you any hope of a cure in this case the doctor shook his head regretfully mrs bain had been one of his best patients a small annuity to him for the last five years would that she could have lasted for ever and been handed down in reversion to his sons my dear mr bain he said overflowing with sympathy your dear good lady's malady has long been chronic there can be no such thing as cure but by escaping our cold spring we may carry her safely into the summer to lose her when winter comes again a poor hope at best we are in the hands of providence we can but do our uttermost there is but one thing to be done removal to a more congenial climate and that you consider essential most decidedly then it shall be done said mr bain 
however inconvenient i'll take her over to cannes myself no one in monkhampton shall be able to say i did less than my duty bravely spoken my dear sir we all honour you for your devotion to your most estimable lady a devotion equally creditable to you and its object said mr stimson as if he had been making an after-dinner speech mr bain who held like macbeth that whatever was well done when done should be done quickly announced his intention of starting with the invalid on the next day but one the girls made haste to pack their mother's trunks tearfully yet not without hope cannes to their minds meant restoration to health matilda jane was to stay at home and keep house and rule the boys a hardy race of grammar school students with unappeasable appetites clara louisa was to accompany her mother as nurse and companion after all thought mr bain i don't see that anything can go wrong in my absence sir aubrey is likely to hold out in his present condition for some time to come and if there were any appearance of a change chapelain would write me word of it chapelain the valet had a profound respect for the land steward whom he regarded as actual master of parium place sir aubrey since his illness was but the shadow or eidolon of his former self lady parium had but little power and what little she possessed she seemed to hold at the pleasure of mr bain the valet told himself therefore that shadrach bain was the idol before which he must bow down if he desired his service to be a profitable one chapelain had reason to accord mr bain even more subservience than is usually given by a time-serving domestic to the powers that be for he was conscious of failings which if once discovered by the steward might lead to his swift doom and downfall it may have been the joyless monotony of parium place or it may have been some inherent weakness in the man himself but whatever the cause it is certain that since sir aubrey's illness jean chapelain had acquired the habit of taking more alcohol than was good for himself or for the household in which he served he had always liked his comfortable glass but had kept the propensity tolerably well in check so long as he feared sir aubrey's scrutiny but of late since his master's eyes had grown dull and unseeing jean chapelain had given the reins to his favourite vice and had allowed that fatal charger to carry him very near the verge of ruin the parium cellars were too well guarded by the faithful white-headed old butler who had held the keys for the last twenty years for mr chapelain to indulge his dangerous propensity at his master's cost he had a certain allowance of beer and wine and a liberal one for servants however faithful are not apt to stint one another they take a large view of servants hall rations but anything for which mr chapelain craved beyond this ample allowance he had to provide for himself and he did provide himself with some of the vilest brandy ever extracted from potatoes brandy which was guiltless of grape-juice but which addled the valet's brain with a somewhat agreeable obfuscation and took possession of his feet and legs where it tortured him under the name of gout little by little tortured by the gout and solaced by the brandy which produced the gout jean chapelain fell away from his duties in sir aubrey's rooms the baronet though apt to be peevish and at times exacting was not a very troublesome invalid and there were few services he required which mrs carter could not perform to his liking he had taken a wonderful fancy to the sick nurse her quiet unobtrusive manner her soft voice pleased him even the subdued colour of her garments and her pale refined face were agreeable to him sometimes when his mind was a little weaker than usual he would mistake her for his wife address her as sylvia and remain unconscious of his error till lady parium entered the room when he would look wonderingly from one to the other thus it happened the sick nurse being always on duty 
that no one complained of jean chapelain's inattention he dressed his master in the morning but was very often out of the way when sir aubrey went to bed at night on these occasions the gout furnished him with an ever-ready excuse my legs have martyrized me the evening he would say to mrs carter in his curious english and i could not descend i hope the old did not ask me the old was mr chapelain's name for sir aubrey mr bain left monkhampton with his wife and daughter about the middle of february nearly a year after sir aubrey's paralytic seizure and about seven months after the birth of that baby heir who had been baptized without pomp or splendour of any kind at the little church in the dell at the baronet's expressed desire repeated many times without variation his infant son had been christened sir john aubrey the more surely to perpetuate that friendship which had been obtained between sir aubrey's ancestor and the brilliant statesman the child had grown and flourished in the dull old house a vigorous sapling the servants were never tired of praising him he had sir aubrey's blue eyes or such eyes as sir aubrey's had been when they too looked joyously and ignorantly on life's glad morning he had not inherited those wondrous hazel orbs of his mother's and indeed bore no resemblance to sylvia either in feature or expression that interview with mary peter had told lady perriam very little about her lost lover but when miss peter brought home the dress that had been entrusted to her for manufacture the talk between the dressmaker and her patroness again fell upon mr standon's affairs i think it's a settled thing now my lady miss peter remarked as she tried on the dress and settled a fold here and pinched a trimming into place there what is a settled thing asked sylvia between mr standon and miss rochdale i met them out walking in headingham yesterday quite like sweethearts how do you mean like sweethearts well i don't know he had such an attentive way with him and was carrying her waterproof besides it's in everybody's mouth at headingham alice cook got it from her father and her father had it from mr vancourt himself and he'd be likely to know sylvia said nothing but suffered the business of trying on as quietly as if she had been a statue they say it's to be in the spring as soon as mrs sargent leaves off crape she'll have worn it more than a year and a half by that time unfasten the dress said sylvia imperatively you've almost strangled me her breath came thick and fast as if the dress had indeed been tight enough to throttle her yet it isn't a bit tight about the throat said miss peter as she unfastened the body twelve inches your old measure after that day there came a restlessness upon lady perriam which she strove in vain to conquer were these two going to be married that was the question which tormented her the question which was perpetually repeating itself in her distracted mind there were times when her own release seemed so near when she believed that sir aubrey's sand ran low in the glass of time yet what avail widowhood and liberty if he whose love she counted upon regaining were to wed another before the day of her freedom she could not sit quietly at home to consider this question but ordered her carriage and told the man to drive to cropley common a drive which must take her past dean house and through headingham nurse tringfold and the baby went with her the customary companions of her drives but to-day she took even less notice than usual of the infantile st john's endearing ways she wrapped herself in her own thoughts and sat looking out of the window with a gloomy brow they passed dean house but the untenanted windows looked blankly down at her telling nothing of the interior they drove through headingham without meeting a creature whom sylvia knew and thus on to cropley common 
a wide waste of broken ground clothed with firs and heather commanding the distant sea and far to the left the little sandy bay and white-walled town of didmouth here even in winter it was pleasant to walk on the close-cropped turf though not on the loose ragged gravel road up which the horses struggled with their load Halfway up the hill the coachman stopped at a bend of the road where there was a bit of level which served as a landing-stage for vehicles and here lady perriam and the nurse alighted for a walk on the common to-day sylvia never fond of the nurse's company was particularly indisposed to be social she walked on rapidly with her light footstep winding in and out among the hillocks and firs bushes and leaving nurse tringfold in the distance trying to pacify the complaining baby who was afflicted by an obstinate bottom tooth how bare and desolate the landscape looked in the bleak winter the day which had been bright enough when they came was now darkened by black watery clouds distant didmouth gleamed whitely against a storm-charged sky but lady perriam was singularly indifferent to that ominous darkening of the heavens she had walked about half a mile away from nurse tringfold and the carriage when she was awakened from her reverie by big drops of rain she had neither cloak nor umbrella nor was there any nearer shelter than the carriage not even a gipsy encampment or a hawker's cart within view sylvia looked round her helplessly not very much minding the rain but with a sense of desolation at being thus alone and unprotected the sky had darkened almost to night they had started for their drive directly after luncheon yet it seemed evening already while she was thus looking round a dark figure came between her and the sombre sky a figure armed with that indispensable companion for a west country pedestrian a large umbrella let me take you back to your carriage lady perriam said the pedestrian he was that one man whose voice sir aubrey's wife most feared most longed to hear the sound of that voice coming suddenly upon her took her breath away that edmund standon should speak to her at all seemed wonderful to her mind remembering that bitter look in the churchyard it would have appeared more natural that he should pass her by and leave her to battle with the elements alone you are very kind mr standon lady perriam answered with well-assumed indifference yes i shall be very grateful for the shelter of your umbrella this kind of downpour is rather overwhelming edmund standon held his umbrella over her head but did not offer her his arm he had not desired such a meeting nay would gladly have avoided it but he could hardly leave his sometime love to be half drowned on cropley common there was nothing romantic in their encounter indeed that umbrella shared between them savoured of the ridiculous where did you leave your carriage lady perriam asked mr standon he seemed to find a pleasure in giving her the benefit of her title at the bend of the road half way up the hill i can hardly see my way back to it you may trust yourself to my guidance i know cropley common very well indeed i often come here for a lonely ramble after this he could hardly avoid offering sylvia his arm the ground was rugged and slippery with the rain her feet stumbled now and then she felt that the time was short if she wanted to resolve her doubts she must speak quickly no matter how abrupt her questioning might seem i wonder you have any time for lonely rambles she said i hear you are very much occupied with the business of the bank yes i work rather hard there sometimes fortunately for me i like to work but i heard that you had another and pleasanter occupation for your time in the society of a young lady to whom you are engaged to be married 
pray who is that young lady edmund asked coolly miss rochdale and from whom did you hear the report from common rumour common rumour is a common liar i am not engaged to miss rochdale nor likely to be i will not say as much as that there is no knowing when a man who has missed his first chance of happiness may seek a milder form of joy in a second venture there is only one summer in a man's life but autumn is sometimes a warm and genial season there is that serene and beautiful autumn which is called an indian summer i may have my indian summer yet with miss rochdale i suppose said sylvia why not with miss rochdale she is a girl who might make any man's happiness one would think pretty amiable refined intellectual unselfish what more can a man ask for in the wife of his choice i see rumour has not been false mr stanton why do you trouble yourself about my fate now lady perriam it gave you very little concern a year and a half ago when you married sir aubrey as you did not think about my happiness then you need hardly consider it now i live you see that is something here we are at your carriage the footman opened the carriage door edmund saw the baby splendid in purple and fine linen fast asleep just now and therefore a picture of infantine serenity he touched the round soft cheek gently with his finger unseen by the mother whose eyes gloomy and despairing were averted from him lady perriam hardly thanked mr stanton for the shelter of his umbrella hardly replied to his courteous good evening and was driven away through rain and darkness with a gnawing pain at her heart forty two startling news for mr bain before leaving monkhampton mr bain had taken pains to impress upon his eldest son a lad of sixteen who had been exalted from a desk at the grammar school to a stool in his father's office the necessity of keeping the absent head of the firm well acquainted with anything and everything that might happen at perriam likely to affect his interests were it ever so slightly i don't see that anything can happen said mr bain after dwelling upon these instructions everything has gone on like clockwork at the place ever since sir aubrey's illness and nothing less than his death could throw things out of gear but there's no such thing as certainty in life and one can't be too much on one's guard you must call twice a week at the place while i'm away see lady perriam and hear how things are going on from her own lips the youth shrank shyly from the idea of such temerity he had seen lady perriam's yellow chariot before shop doors in the high street had beheld the lady herself come forth beauteous and in splendid raiment a being who scarcely seemed to tread the ground across which her graceful form passed there was something appalling in the thought of making an uninvited morning call upon a divinity suppose lady perriam refuses to see me suggested the youth she'll not refuse you if you say that it is my wish you should see her i suppose she thinks a great deal of you father said docker the eldest son had been christened docker in compliment to his mother's family i believe i have some influence with her replied mr bain with reserve she's jolly handsome isn't she exclaimed docker betrayed by his enthusiasm jolly is not an adjective to be heard in a respectable household docker mr bain remarked sternly if i had said such a word in my father's presence he'd have caned me this was a favourite form of reproof with shadrach bain his children had been brought up in a wholesome awe of those punishments which they had just escaped by a generation 
having given his son detailed instructions as to what he was to do mr bain left monkhampton almost easy in his mind if what docker had to tell were unimportant he was to communicate with his parent by letter but if the news were vital he was to telegraph for three weeks mr bain remained quietly at cannes watching louisa's lamp of life faintly reviving till it burned dimly yet with daily increasing steadiness or so it seemed to the husband she will last another summer he said to himself meditating upon this apparent return of strength strange how many false alarms we have had since her health first began to fail how long the attenuated thread holds out docker wrote to his father twice a week like a dutiful son and the head clerk wrote every other day forwarding all important documents or copies thereof for his principal's perusal docker's letters were as empty of intelligence as it was possible for letters to be he told of his calls at Parium place and how lady Parium had condescended to see him on every occasion and had told him that sir aubrey's health was pretty much as usual docker varied the wording occasionally but the gist of his letter was always the same three weeks at cannes had more than exhausted the pleasures of that tranquil retreat perfect though mr bain was in his capacity of husband the monotony and seclusion of his wife's apartment wearied him and now that mrs bain was obviously better he began to meditate immediate flight his business was not one to be left long with impunity he told the gentle louisa you'll have clara louisa to keep you company when i am gone said shadrach and mrs bain submitted with all meekness to the loss of her husband's society as a melancholy necessity mr bain anxious as he had seemed to leave cannes did not go back to monkhampton without loss of time by the way he had heard a great deal about the delights of paris from fellow-townsmen more given to pleasure than himself men who deemed a week's holiday in the gay french capital the crowning reward of a year's drudging amidst the dullness of a country town heretofore mr bain had caught only flying glimpses of the wonderful city but he was now determined to waste four or five days in tasting those enjoyments in the way of dinners cafés chantants circuses and so on which his monkhampton acquaintances had dilated upon so rapturously he wanted to see if to dine at a noted restaurant was really to rise to the level of the gods he wanted to hear the therese or lolotte of the day to see circuses which recalled the glories of imperial rome to be able in a word to say i too have lived he was a man who cared very little for pleasure but he did not like being quite behind his neighbours in the knowledge of life so without saying a word of his intention to mrs bain lest he should grieve that gentle soul by the idea that he could prefer the novel dissipations of the capital to her society shadrach left cannes for paris meaning to put up at a hotel recommended to him by tom westrop the auctioneer one of the wildest spirits in monkhampton as he had said nothing of this parisian holiday at cannes he meant to be equally reticent at monkhampton or if he alluded at all to his stay in paris he would put it down to the ever convenient score business it was very easy to name some imaginary client as the person who had detained him mr bain put up at the hotel so urgently recommended by mr westrop it turned out to be rather a dingy abode not quite realizing the glowing picture presented by the auctioneer who had perhaps unconsciously embellished the discourse of private life with the eloquence of the rostrum the bedchamber allotted to mr bain was on the ground floor abutting on a darksome courtyard 
the coffee-room where mr bain took his solitary breakfast of beefsteak and fried potatoes was not a lively apartment altogether mr bain thought that he had seen many an english inn more attractive of aspect than this famous hostelry he took his fill of parisian pleasures saw all the horsemanship to be seen in the champs-elysees heard therese and lolotte dined to his heart's content and made himself bilious with new sauces and unaccustomed wines and in four days had had as much of parisian life as he cared about he went home yearning for monkhampton his office his iron safe his letter-book after the bustle of that strange garish city his native town seemed to him the one delectable spot on earth his clerk's letters had been wholly satisfactory so he went home without any feeling of uneasiness he had sent no intimation of return to his household so that there was no dog-cart to meet him at the station when he arrived at monkhampton at about five o'clock in the afternoon having been travelling since seven o'clock on the previous evening he left his bag and portmanteau to be sent after him and walked quietly home opened the door and went in the house had its accustomed orderly look not a chair out of its place nothing could have gone wrong here he thought it was tea-time always a comfortable hour in homely middle-class houses an hour of rest and respite from the care and toil of the day mr bain went into the dining-room which was cheerfully lighted with gas and a blazing fire the healthy tribe of junior baines was assembled round the capacious table matilda jane ministering to their numerous wants a substantial quarter-loaf was succumbing beneath the slashing cuts of humphrey the second boy while maria the third girl was doling out a plain cake a cake of such unpretending nature that but for a few currants and a sprinkling of caraway seeds it might have passed for bread docker a boy of luxurious habits was kneeling before the fire toasting muffins bought with his own pocket-money muffins being luxuries which mrs bain considered at once bilious and sinful altogether there was an air of enjoyment in the party which reminded mr bain of a vulgar proverb about cats and mice and he had a slightly offended feeling at seeing how comfortable his children could be without him there was more noise than there was wont to be in his presence the gas was flaming higher the fire burned like a furnace at the sight of the head of the household all mirth ceased every father of a family is more or less awful when he bursts upon the home circle without any note of warning good gracious pa shrieked matilda jane conscious of the open volume of a novel lurking beside the tea-tray what a start you did give me we've been expecting you every minute for the last four days said docker laying down his toasting fork in the fender and abandoning his muffin to its fate didn't you get my telegram what telegram inquired mr bain uneasily the one i sent to cannes last thursday i made sure you'd come back as fast as the trains and boat would carry you last thursday nearly a week ago this was wednesday what did you telegraph about boy to tell you of sir aubrey's death sir aubrey's death echoed shadrach bain aghast is sir aubrey perriam dead yes father he died suddenly on wednesday night we didn't hear of it till thursday evening only just in time to telegraph the clerk said the telegram might not reach can till friday morning mr bain had left cannes for paris by the night mail on thursday evening we got a letter from clara louisa on monday to say that you'd left and would be at home before her letter so when you didn't come home we didn't know what to think had become of you you seem to have made yourself pretty comfortable under the circumstances said mr bain grimly 
sir aubrey dead i can hardly bring myself to believe it dead and i out of the way when he died i wouldn't have had it happen for a great deal dead buried i suppose yes father the funeral was this morning a very quiet funeral i went over to have a look though i wasn't asked there were only lady periam mr stimson and the servants for mourners mordred periam followed his brother to the grave i suppose no father mr periam has kept his room ever since you've been away he's been getting queerer and queerer for a long time people say and now he's altogether gone non compos people say what people well the servants at the place i was up there yesterday afternoon and had a longish talk with the housekeeper i wanted to see lady periam you know as it was your wish i should call upon her twice a week but she hasn't seen any one except mr stimson and the clergyman since sir aubrey's death but i saw mrs spicer and the old lady was uncommonly sociable and told me a lot about mr periam and his queer ways his brother's death has quite done for him she says and he won't look at anybody mrs carter the nurse has to wait upon him hand and foot pretty much the same as she did upon sir aubrey huh muttered the steward that's easily seen through mrs carter knows when she has a good place and doesn't want to lose it now sir aubrey's gone she'll pretend her services are wanted by his brother has the will been read yet no father lady periam said it was to be kept for you to read when you came back very considerate of lady periam replied mr bayne and now matilda jane if there's no cold meat in the house you'd better get me a chop or a steak i've had nothing since i breakfasted at a coffee-house near the london bridge terminus matilda jane flew to obey her father's behest a sober quiet had descended upon the family circle the more tender of the olive branches crammed their young mouths with plain cake and stared open-eyed at the author of their being docker who being in the transition period between boy and manhood had an exaggerated sense of his own importance sipped his tea with affected ease and tried to look as if he was not afraid of his father startling as was the news of sir aubrey periam's sudden death shadrach bane seemed to take it with admirable coolness he took off his coat and wraps settled himself in his armchair by the fire and sat in meditative contemplation of the glowing coals but with no shade of uneasiness upon his thoughtful brow sir aubrey's death in no manner disarranged the plans which the land steward had made for his future life on the contrary it fitted in with them it was one of the events in his programme calculated upon ever so long ago it had only come some years say about ten years before he expected it one of the obstacles upon that broad high road along which mr bayne designed to travel to the winning-post had been removed about his late employer's will mr bayne felt no uneasiness he had drawn up the document himself a few months after sir aubrey's marriage and he had no fear of the baronet having made any subsequent will he knew that he had to the last enjoyed sir aubrey's fullest confidence and that in the decay of thought and memory the invalid had leaned upon him as upon a crutch thus there was nothing uncomfortable in shadrach bayne's meditations as he sat by his warm hearth while the disordered tea-table was restored to order and a cruet frame and pickle-stand beer-jug and decanter of sherry were set forth on a spotless tablecloth neatly laid across that end of the table nearest to mr bayne's armchair some natural sorrow he may have felt for the death of the man who had been in some wise the author of his fortunes 
but in mr bain's practical mind all undue lamenting for departed friends appeared at once foolish and morbid a diseased indulgence an irrational sensibility he would have a band put upon his hat to-morrow and by that outward mark of woe reduce his regret to a symbol that done he would feel he had done his duty to the dead had the perium estate been about to pass to horace perium the unknown heir at law mr bain would have felt considerable uneasiness and uncertainty the heir at law might have cherished particular views of his own about the property and might have dismissed mr bain from his stewardship but providence ever kind to the bain family had been pleased to bless sylvia perium with offspring and the existence of that baby boy still struggling with the advance guard of his teeth made things very smooth for the land steward well did he remember the making of sir aubrey's will how just at the last he had ventured to suggest that there should be some trustee named to protect the estate of the expected heir or the portion of the heiress should fate refuse to grant sir aubrey a son in the event of the baronet's death before the child came of age mr bain recalled sir aubrey's offended look as he said i hope you don't consider me such a very old man that i cannot possibly live to see my children grow up no indeed sir aubrey i am only anxious to provide for a remote contingency the steward had answered you men of business are so tiresome very well if i must appoint a trustee put it in your own name it will do as well as any other this happened to dovetail into a corner of mr bain's phantasmal edifice that airy erection built with profoundest calculation which symbolized his future he put his own name into the will as trustee and joint executor with lady perriam beyond this honourable distinction sir aubrey left him the sum of one thousand pounds sterling in acknowledgment of his faithful services during a prolonged period it was no large reward for service so untiring so profitable to the employer but sir aubrey did not make the bequest without a mental wrench he did not like dividing his money after death it seemed almost as bad as parting with it during his life mr bain ate a well-cooked steak and a couple of pickled walnuts with as good an appetite as if there had been nothing on his mind he liked this plain english fare this solid beef and bread washed down with amber-hued bitter beer better than the familiar kickshaws of the maison dorée or philippe's he liked the sober comfort of his home the deferential companionship of his children who worshipped him as a superior being and trembled at the creaking of his boots he liked the snug retirement of his office where he spent the rest of that evening looking through the record of work that had been done in his absence and wasting some little time in thinking how lady perriam would be affected by her widowhood will she try to lure edmund standon back to her he asked himself and this time his brow was darkly clouded as if his thoughts were full of gloom End of chapters forty one and forty two